The scripture reading today will be first of all from John chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. Now he had gone through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and who had given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his son and his livestock? Jesus answered, Whoever drinks this water will thirst again. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He said to her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. The second reading will be from Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake, of Gerasat, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water, water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the net for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they singled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid, for now on you will fish for men. So they pulled up their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. This is the word of the Lord.
Good morning. Can you hear me? Good morning. Can you hear me? Oh yeah. I noticed on the I noticed on the Facebook feed that Facebook feed that watching watching drive through drive through New York. And um and um still getting an echo still getting an echo here. can still hear myself. There we go. Okay. So um, this is again kind of strange that I'm I'm talking to you over Zoom. You're in person. Uh, I'm here in the office. You're in the church. Although it's kind of cool, I can I can be addressing the people on Facebook as well. I, I kind of on a level level plane with them. I noticed um, Ruth Sweeney's daughter in Colorado um, and uh, Roy and Tina traveling through Kentucky or through New York now, um, as well as some uh, Georgia Plain regulars who I'm assuming you're home because of COVID or weather or some combination of the two. Well, I have something I'm excited to share with you this morning. And um, before we do that, I want to pray for God's help. Lord, thank you that you are real. I thank you that you come and meet us in the reality of our lives. And you call us um, to know you there and to respond to you. I pray that my words today uh, would be clear. I pray that you would help us all to understand what you want to tell us. Help us to have courage to bring to you um, the actual, uh, ourselves as we actually are. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, imagine you had an app on your phone that could detect all the thoughts and feelings that you have in real time. It would sense your emotional ups and downs, your... Um, desires, your thoughts about yourself and others, your spiritual temperature, your attitude toward God. And imagine you, you had that app turned on for the last 48 hours, and then you got the report of all that it had detected in that time. Um, that is your current reality. That is who you really are, so to speak, what goes at what actually goes on in your mind and heart. I wonder what would you see on that report? Would there be things you're proud of? Things you're ashamed of? Uh, would there be things you had hoped would be there that aren't? Uh, would there be things you'd want to edit out before showing to a friend? I don't know about you, but, but my report from the last 48 hours would have some things I don't really want other people to see, things I'm ashamed of, things that would be hard for me to acknowledge were there. But nevertheless, that represents the real me and the real you. Um, I want to tell you today that unless 
you give God full access to the real you, uh, nothing's going to change in your life. You're not going to grow spiritually. You're not going to be more like Jesus until and unless you give God access to your true reality. Um, we're in this series called um, Off the Treadmill and Onto the Trail, Seven Axioms for Actual Change. Uh, so this week, axiom three is this. God meets us in reality. God meets us in reality. The reality that I'm talking about here is, is the reality of your actual life, who you actually are, not how you want to be or how you used to be or how you may pretend to be or how you think you should be, but in your actual reality, who you really are. The problem is, though, um, we aren't so good at being real with God or for other people, for that matter. We pretend, we avoid the truth, we try to hide, we make excuses, we make promises to do better. We have all kinds of ways of avoiding or dodging reality. Why do we do this? Well, the same reasons that you wouldn't want to show someone the report of your thoughts and feelings for the last two days. Because we think, if you really knew who I really was, you would reject me. You wouldn't like me. If God, if you really saw the real me, you won't accept me. I'm too sinful. I'm too broken. I'm too messed up. We might even convince ourselves that, that those parts don't exist and, and be blind to them. Well, <clears throat> I want to tell you this morning why it is good news that God meets us in reality. Uh, and I want to give you, hopefully, the courage to bring your real self to God, because that is the only way change is going to happen. So there are, there are three moves I'd like to take you through. First, good news, good news that, that, that uh, about God meeting us in reality. The second move is the bad news of how we avoid and dodge reality. And the third move is the, the good news about what happens when we get real. So good news, bad news, good news. Are you ready? Okay, <clears throat> number one, good news. God meets us in reality. Why is this good news? Well, if he didn't meet us in reality as we actually are, we would have no hope of change. Um, if God waited for us to get better or waited for us to, um, to, to, to clean ourselves up, uh, we would have no hope. <laughs> In fact, the opposite is true. God consistently comes into our sinful reality, even when it's uncomfortable for us, and says, get real with me. Here I am. Reckon with me. Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sin, what happens? They run and hide from God. They cover themselves ashamed, but God comes looking for them and says, where are you? Get real with me. Later in Genesis, and I'm just giving a few examples of this in scripture, Jacob spends the first half of his life deceiving and manipulating people. Um, until he has an encounter with God that forces him to get real and humbles himself 
and he changes. The prophets, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and others, are always telling wayward people things like, hey, you're pretending that everything is okay, but it's not. So get real with God and come back to him. The fact that God wants this, that he wants us to be real, is actually good news. It's a very loving thing to do. Because unless we get real with him, we won't change. But most of all, we see this truth in Jesus. Jesus was all about getting people to shoot straight with him. We see in the Gospels that some people come to Jesus under false pretense, false pretenses to, to trap him, to test him, to use him, to justify themselves uh, somehow. And when those kind of people come to Jesus, um, he refuses to deal with them on those terms. He usually uh, gives a parable or, or asks them a question that sort of reveals the duplicity in their heart and forces them to, to think. On the other hand, some people come to Jesus who are completely transparent about, uh, about their reality. These are people like prostitutes and tax collectors and notorious sinners or people with obvious um, diseases or deformities, people who can't hide their reality. And they say to Jesus, have mercy on me, help me, save me. And these are the people that Jesus blesses and uh, calls to follow him and heals. I want to turn to a specific example that illustrates Jesus in action, getting someone to get real with him. It's John 4, starting at verse 7, the, the passage Dennis read for us, and you know this story. Um, Jesus is on a journey passing through uh, the region of Samaria, a place that most Jews avoided, but he's there, he's hot and he's thirsty, so he stops by this well. And as he's there, uh, a woman from the town comes to the well. And little does she know this is a divine appointment for her with Jesus. Uh, Jesus asks her for a drink. And she says, how can you ask me to give you a drink? You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, this is John 4 verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, I have, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as also did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So pause the scene for a minute. What's happening in this conversation? Jesus knows 
that this woman has deep spiritual needs that he can meet. And so he is driving the conversation uh, in that direction, and they're sitting by a well. So he's using this analogy of water and the deep soul-quenching um, power that he has. Um, so far, the woman isn't getting this deeper meaning. She's, she's just uh, thinking on the surface. But Jesus is about to make the conversation go deeper and cut to the heart. Listen to what happens next. He told her, go call your husband and come back. Now, that seems like an odd thing to say. Why would he uh, suddenly um, say this to her? Well, Jesus is gently pressing on this woman's deepest source of shame. Uh, pay the painful reality in her life. The reason she's here alone at the middle of the day without other women is that she is uh, um, a social pariah, right? As we'll soon find out. And this is the reason she's there with Jesus. The reason he's there to meet her. So go call your husband and come back, Jesus said. How, uh, I have no husband, she replied. I bet she didn't like where this conversation was heading. Who is this strange Jewish man and why does he seem to know something about my life? She tries to sidestep the, root, the truth with a technicality. I have no husband, but Jesus presses deeper. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He is, he is forcing her to get real. I should say gently pressing her to get real. He's, he's doing that because he loves her, because he knows that she needs the forgiveness and the healing and the mercy that he has. But what does she do? She changes the subject again. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So you want to get personal? Well, let's make this about theology instead. So she brings up this long-standing debate between Jews and Samaritans about the proper location of the temple. We do the same thing. We're getting to that in a minute. This brings the, the second point. Um, and, and we're not going to finish this story with Jesus and the Samaritan woman, but by the end of this section, Jesus has revealed himself to her, and we know later that she believed in him. She got real with him. But as we see the, the strategies this Samaritan woman has to avoid the painful truth of her reality, I want to talk about the bad news of this, about how we avoid getting real with God. And I want to mention three things, three ways that we dodge reality. I'm sure there are more but these are three that I thought of that I've seen in my life and that I, I've seen others. Number one is pretending. 
Sometimes we dodge reality by pretending that things are different from how they actually are, or that we are better than we actually are. Religious people are guilty of this. We come to church, we do good things, we think about all the good things on our uh, resume, good deeds. Um, we tell ourselves that we are just fine. We use pious Christian language. And all these can become ways of pretending that things are fine, that we're fine, that, 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 that we don't really have a problem in ourselves. When we do sin, we have ways of justifying or excusing our behavior, thinking, well, it wasn't really my fault that I got angry. That person just said something that provoked me. Or, you know, that's not really who I am. That, that comment I made was not really who I am because I'm a good person. You know, uh, for many years, <laughs> I didn't think I had a problem with anger. I was, uh, I, I was pretty, um, pretty even tempered, even keeled. I still am. You, you probably look at me and think you don't have a problem with anger. Well, let me tell you, um, when Meg and I were just married, we moved to the Chicago suburbs and several days a week, I had to, I had to cross, um, you know, 30 miles of, of congested Chicago traffic. And I got angry. Sometimes I began to feel um, road rage almost. And I thought, who is that person? That's not me. I don't have an issue with anger. And so later we moved and the problem went away. Well, until we had kids. We had three kids in four years, and I started to have issues uh, with anger with them, with feeling frustrated and angry and, and upset. And it began to dawn on me, maybe the problem is not my situation. Maybe the problem is me. Maybe I have an issue with anger. Well, number two the second way we might dodge reality is distracting, by distracting ourselves. When we become aware of some unpleasant reality in our lives, a failure, a sin, a disappointment, a rocky relationship, a draining job, whatever it is, we just find something to take our mind off of it. We turn on the TV, we scroll through Facebook, we pour another drink, we work too much, we escape into things, we distract ourselves. We don't want to face the painful things inside. So we distract. Well, number three is what I call shoulding. Shoulding, what does this mean? Shoulding is when we see things in our lives that we are ashamed of or we no need to change. And we pile on the guilt and shame. We say, I should be better by now. I shouldn't be doing this. I ought to be able to hang, handle my anger better than this. I should really get my act together. I should really pray more. The problem with this, 
even though it sounds uh, very spiritual, it sounds like we're taking our sin seriously, it's actually a way of dodging reality. Because what we are saying is, in effect, God will not work in my life until I change. I need to make myself better so that God will work in my life. So I'm going to pile on the guilt and shame and try to uh, beat myself up and tell me what I tell myself what I should be doing. We picture God with his arms crossed, waiting for us to get our act together. That's not how God works. Look at how Jesus talked to the Samaritan woman. She was already feeling great shame about her life. He didn't try to should her or shame her into changing. He didn't lecture her about her sin. He simply gently confronted her and called her to belief, to faith and repentance. He met her exactly where she was in reality and revealed himself to her there. So we have these ways of avoiding and dodging and pretending. Just this past week, I was on my way back to the office from grabbing lunch at the house, and I noticed an unfamiliar car idling in the Jimmy Center parking lot. So I went inside, and there was a woman who I'd never seen before. Um, and I could tell right away something was a little off. I greeted her and I, I shook her hand and she pulled her hand away pretty quickly. Uh, she didn't make eye contact for more than a, a second or two at a time. <clears throat> and she told me that she was looking for help with food. Okay, so um, I began to engage her in more conversation about this, about her life. Um, and she, I could tell she was, she was avoiding something she was trying to impress me by telling me, um, uh, you know, I, I tell my kids all the time how important church is. And, um, you know, I've been struggling my life, but I'm really doing better now and, and all these things. So I made a, a phone call to Everest and, and he agreed to meet this woman at the food shelf behind the Georgia library. I made sure that she knew where she was going. She, she said, yep, I know where that is. Pointed her in the right direction, and I sent her on her way. Well, an hour later, I get a call from Everest and Shirley. Um, the, the woman never showed up. Uh, Everest waited there, and she never came. What a different story if this woman had said, I have a drug problem. Or I have an alcohol problem. I have some addiction or whatever it is that's going on in her life. I have a problem and I need help. Then she can get the help she needs. But she wasn't real with me. And so nothing, nothing is going to change in her life until she gets real. The same thing is true with us, friends. If we dodge or avoid or pretend, um, we are keeping God at arm's length. We are avoiding the change and the blessing and the healing he wants to bring because God meets us in reality, not where we should be, not where we want to be, not where we used to be, not where we pretend to be, 
but in reality, as we actually are. So finally, let me bring this to a close. Let me tell you the good news about what happens when we do get real with God. Dennis read for us the story of Jesus calling Peter to be his disciple. Remember Peter? He was reluctant to go back out into, the, into his boat. He was reluctant to cast his net over the other side of the boat. But he obeyed Jesus. And when he did, he hauled in the biggest catch of his life. Two boats were filled with fish. And then it dawned on him. In the middle of those wriggling, wet fish, with Jesus standing in his boat, he realized he was not dealing with an ordinary man. That this rabbi was someone who was holy. Maybe even the Messiah. Maybe even a teacher sent from God. And what happens when Peter has that flash of realization? What does he say? He says, he falls to his knees and says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. He, he suddenly realizes he saw his own messed up life, his own doubts, his pride, his sin, whatever, and he felt deeply ashamed. And this is the way we feel when, when we think about someone else seeing that list of all that we've thought and felt, we feel ashamed. God, if you really knew who I am, you would not want to be near me. There is so much in my life that should be different. I am ashamed of the reality of my life. Do you ever feel that way? Peter felt that way. And how did Jesus answer Peter? Listen to his response. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Peter, I am not here to condemn you. I see you and I still love you. I know you. I know all the things that you're ashamed of and I still love you. And you know what? This response this honest admission that Peter gives shows that he gets it. He gets that there is stuff in his life that should be different. And that when he comes to someone like Jesus, there is a holy clash between those things, between his life and, and, and Jesus. He's not pretending. But in this moment of raw honest acknowledgement of his reality, Jesus comforts him. He doesn't say, okay, come back to me in a year when you've cleaned up your life. He doesn't say, yeah, I know there's some things that should be different, but, but I'll work on you. Don't worry. He doesn't say that. He says, don't be afraid. And then he invites him to mission. From now on, you will fish for people. He invites him into his mission. And the same thing happens to us when we meet God in reality, as we actually are. Not as we hope to be or used to be or pretend to be or think we are, but as we actually are. That's when God works in our lives. The best way to do this 
is to confess. The, do you know the word confess means literally to say the same thing? So, so here's God. He sees completely into our lives. He, our lives are an open book to him. That app that made that report, he sees that. He's got the whole thing. He's got your whole life's worth of reports. He sees it all. He knows exactly what is going on in your reality. And to confess is to say the same thing as God. To agree with God about what is true of your life. With God, the one who sees it all and knows it all. We can't hide anything from him anyway, right? When we are real with him, he works. And so when we confess, we name the things that he already sees. We name the sins. We name the failures. We name the, the doubts, the points of confusion, the, the, the ways we fall short. So try doing that. I want you to notice what is actually going on in your life. Notice the feelings you have, the desires you have, the thoughts you have. And if you see something that needs to change, confess that to God. Lord, I noticed that I didn't want to pray today. I'm sorry. Lord, I confess that I felt judgmental about that person. Lord, I confess that I failed to love my coworker. Lord, I confess that I was craving this thing I'm addicted to, and that was all I could think about yesterday. Lord, I confess that I was too angry with my friend. Whatever it may be, confess it to God, name your reality, and in that, he meets you with power to heal, to forgive, and to change. I heard a phrase a few weeks ago that has been giving me courage personally to be real with God. And I'll leave you with this. God loves the actual you. God loves the actual you. Not the ideal you, not the cleaned up version of you, not the new and improved or uh, the part, the, the you with the bad parts edited out. He loves the real you, the actual you, because that's the, the only you that exists, is the actual you. Not the you that you want to be or should be or used to be or pretend to be, the actual you. And it's because of that, because of his love for us right now, as we are, that we can be real with him and meet him in our reality, in the place he will meet us and change us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we are open books before you. You see all, you know all. Give us courage to be real with you. Give us courage to believe that you love us now and not just when we get better or when we're different. And give us hope, Lord, that you can change us, that when we are honest with you about our reality, you 
you bring your forgiveness, you bring your grace, and you call us deeper into relationship. And you begin to, to change our lives and make us more like Jesus. We pray that you would do that in us, in our church, that your, your work would multiply in this place. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.